Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Merry Christmas season. I'm so thankful to uh, just be here. I'm sure, sure you are, too. Um, very important topic today. We are going to be talking about God's faithfulness and how He draws us closer to Him when our faith is tested and when we go through trials of various kinds, as it says throughout uh, scripture. But also, I want to mention before we get going today, um, I mentioned it. Uh, actually, I don't think I've ever mentioned it, so I keep forgetting. This Sunday, I'll be teaching at Christ the Rock Church in De Pere, De Pere, Wisconsin, right next to Green Bay. Uh, Pastor Kevin is on, I want to say hiatus, he's, he's on a sabbatical. So I'm excited to be teaching. Um, the subject is, of course, Jesus, Mighty God. But the title of the sermon, The Root and Descendant of David. And of course, we'll lead into the Christmas uh, message from Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. But um, Revelation twenty two sixteen. 16, uh, that's what I'm basing this on. So um, pray for me that God will help me put together, um, actually edit down, because I already have uh, too long of a message, and I've got to edit that down. And I'm going to talk to today's guest about that. I'm so excited. I've got a very important podcast, because we're going to be talking about how, you know, we don't always go through easy times in life, and there are no guarantees that we're going to be here for extended periods of time. Um, the future is guaranteed to no one. However, our eternal future, if you are born again, a believer in Christ, and you have surrendered your life to him and made him your Savior, he's already Lord no matter what. But anyway, we have that security that the world does not have, nor do they understand. So that's why we're still here to proclaim the goodness of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ in that message. So I'm so excited to have Pastor Mike Abendroth back with us of No Compromise Radio, and he preaches out in Massachusetts, uh, senior pastor there. And Mike, I'm so thankful to have you back on the podcast, brother. Welcome. David, thanks for having me on again. I always appreciate being on, and I appreciate your ministry. Excited for your sermon on Sunday. Yes. I... I think I've probably been on the show now, what do you think, 20 times or something like that? At least. And uh, I, I know I probably have me on every time the Lord needs to humble you and have some <laughs> low ratings, so I am here to serve. <laughs> I love you, brother. I love your humor. Um, but I'm, And I'm so glad that you're back. And the listeners right now have no idea why I said that. So before we get to uh, you giving me advice for the teaching, such an important topic, the God-man. The, the, the deity and the humanity of Jesus, uh, Revelation twenty two sixteen David, the, the, I'm sorry, Jesus being the root and the descendant of David. Let's talk about his faithfulness and how God brought you through, uh, well, a near-death experience this year. You almost died of respiratory failure, and you spent 16 days in the hospital. Uh, Mike, where do you want to start with that? Well, David, I, it's, that's a really good question. I'm thinking of Psalm 81, and it says, excuse me, 89, I will sing of the loving kindness of the Lord forever. Mm. To all generations, I will make known your faithfulness with my mouth. And that's really what I have been trying to do in the ministry that God has given me, and even now. So what happened was, it was September, I'd been riding the bike a lot, I thought I was in pretty good shape, and doing all the prophylactics with C and D and quercetin and all that stuff to stay healthy. Mm -hmm. And I got COVID, and it wasn't too bad the first week, and then by the end of the second week, I couldn't breathe. And so off to the hospital I go, and for those listeners that understand a little bit about oxygen, I was on the nasal cannula at 2, then 5, then 10, then 15, and that's the max there that they can give you off the wall, so then I was on something called high flow, which was 60 liters, and they looked at me and said, you know, you have acute respiratory failure, and it's interesting because I know that I'm going to die one day, and I think we all know that, right? Mm -hmm. we, we understand, even unbelievers know that, but then when they look at you and you think, you know, I need to give my wife the passwords 
and tell her where the life insurance policy is. And, mm. uh, Lord, I'd like to live. You know, we have this built-in desire to live. But I'll submit, and I don't, you know, I can't do anything about it anyway. I, I will do what you please. But I'd really like to stick around for my wife and kids and the local church. And I just remember sitting there thinking, uh, Dave, that if sola fide, that is faith alone, isn't right, if, I'm, if, that's, if that's not true, that it's faith in the finished work of Jesus who lived for me, died for my sins, was raised from the dead, ascended, and now prays for me at the right hand of the Father. If I, don't re- if I receive his benefits by faith plus something, my good religious works, my, my good works, my doing more right than wrong, then I'm smoked because I realize what a sinful man I am, and really, as sinners, have we done anything with a perfect motive? And God is thrice holy, and he requires holiness and perfection. So it's really just an interesting time sitting there thinking, Lord, I trust you. Right when Jesus said uh, in John 11, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes me will never die. Do you believe this? And I thought, Lord, I, I offer nothing to you except I believe that Jesus really did die and rose for me. He died for my personal sins and mm. rose for me and gave me new life. And I didn't want to take a verse out of context, but it's like, Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. Mm. And uh, it was really kind of the end. And then they came in one day, a couple days later, and said, you've turned a corner for the better, and we think you're going to make it. And uh, three months later, now I'm here and feeling pretty good. The lungs are clearing up. I still don't have my voice 100%, but I'm very thankful, and so it's my privilege now to be able to preach again the last three weeks and declare God's faithfulness. So mm. thanks for asking. Uh, I now have <clears throat> entree into people's lives when they suffer from COVID or have friends with respiratory failure who have died. You know, now that I've been through it, I think the Lord has given me just some compassion and empathy. Mm-hmm. Sitting in that COVID room, isolated, 24 hours a day, no family, no wife, no kids. Wow. My kids and my wife would stand out on the helicopter pad and wave to me because that's as close as they could get. So really, really uh, a life-changing experience for the good. It took me a long time, but I said, Lord, I need to thank you for this because you're working in me, and I have a lot of self-righteousness and pride and other things. You're working in other people's lives like my children. And I, I thank you that I don't thank you that I'm, you know, this hurts and I'm not thankful for a disease per se, but I know you're sovereign over every molecule of the universe. And even though I was taking ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and every other known thing, I'm still here. So I submit to your goodwill and, and I thank you for caring for me and I thank you for this trial. Mm. So it has been wild ever since. Wow. Um- what I'm also hearing is um, God's sovereignty plays into this so very much because uh, we can do everything that we know to do in our own human wisdom and understanding to try to live healthy, to take care of ourselves, to, to pray and to try to be good Christians and live a good life and everything else. But it, it, when it comes to our ultimate destiny, uh, what, what that final day is, God knows the number of our days and it was, for me, Mike, and I didn't go through nearly what you went through. I was in urgent care three times. It took two months for me to get my voice back and get to have my lungs strong again. But I wasn't hospitalized. But nonetheless, I was looking up to God and saying, Lord, uh, uh, I'm yours. Um, if you decide to keep me around, I will do my best to live my life for you and give you glory and uh, try to uh, do the work that you've called me to do. But if not, I am happy to go home. And I don't think people that don't believe in Jesus, that don't have uh, faith, Mike, I, I, I don't know that they can relate to that. It's almost a piece. It's almost a supernatural piece, and it sounds like that's where you were at as well through most of it. Well, it's interesting, David. I concur with you. And while I was sitting there in the hospital, I thought— you know, I, it's hard for me to read. I had a lot of COVID fog, and so I'd listen to my Bible app and listen to podcasts. I tried not to watch the TV all day, so I would just think. And people would come into the room, different pulmonologists, respiratory therapy, nurses, and I would say to them, uh, I'm a pastor. Thanks for helping me. Uh, is there any way I could pray for you? Because I don't really have anything else to do, so maybe I could just pray for you when, when 
you have a need. And they would look at me like, you need the prayers, pal, not me. (laughs) (laughs) And so I just thought, okay, God is either sovereign over everything. Uh, When I had cancer, someone said, you know, God is sovereign over every cancer molecule. And I could have done everything possible uh, to try to prevent COVID and to have this reaction, but this is just the way my body reacted. And what are my options? And the good option was, even when I couldn't pray or read the Bible, Hebrews 7 talks about the Lord Jesus. He lives to make intercession for us. Mm, And throughout the years, I've had especially some old grandmas in my life, not even related to me, and they'd say, "Uh, Mike, we pray for you every day. Hmm. And I thought, you know, what would you give to have somebody pray for you every day? Wow. A godly old Christian lady praying for you every single day. And I thought, that's priceless. But some of those ladies have died, so they aren't praying for me every day because they're in glory. But the book says in Hebrews that the Lord Jesus lives to make intercession, and so he's our advocate and he's our great comfort, and it's so good to know that even when I can't pray, that doesn't mean I lose my salvation, or that doesn't mean God loves me less. Mm -hmm. He knows that I'm weak, and just like when we have children who are sick, and we're extra compassionate upon them, uh, that's what we receive from the Lord, and it was good to know. I can't pray, Lord. My only prayer basically was, because I was so sick, please help me. And I think that's a good prayer when you can't pray anything else, because we know that great Lamentations 3.23, Amen. about every morning God's um, compassions never fail because they're new, and then it says, Great is thy faithfulness. Amen. And uh, now every time I read in the Scriptures, fortress, rock, defense, refuge, I just think those are all great pictures of uh, truth that's being taught in Scripture that his, as Psalm 36 says, his faithfulness reaches to the skies. Mm. And so, while I have breath, and by the way, every time I read a passage now that has breath, it catches my eye. (laughs) Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So while I have breath, I'm going to talk about the Lord Jesus. And just like you this Sunday, uh, when I get up, I want people to know it's not going to be about moralism and TED Talks and (laughs) and things that you can get elsewhere. Mm Mm-hmm. I want to talk about the Lord Jesus and who he is. And so I tell people at our church in Massachusetts, if you like to hear sermons about Jesus, you're in the right place. And if you don't, (laughs) I hope to convince you of your need. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, Mike, Bethlehem Bible Church had to make some decisions while you were gone. Um, I'm sure you have a couple people on staff or associate pastors or elders that uh, stepped in for you and filled the pulpit while you were in the hospital. Yes, that was true, and that's I'm very, very thankful for that. Uh, I'm a I teach homiletics, that is the the art and science of preaching. So lots of guys at the church have received those classes, and I think we have oh probably eight men that could stand up and preach for me if they needed to. And when other churches in the area need a sermon, a verse by verse sermon about Jesus, they call us and we send those guys. So we were set here. I have a wonderful associate pastor, his name Steve Cooley, so he preached for me. And then I said to them in the middle of all this, when I thought I might not make it, I wrote Steve, who's my friend and also my associate pastor, just kind of like, you know, these are my dying wishes type of thing. Uh, thank you for all your ministry. I love you. You've been a better friend to me than I've been to you, so thank you for that. Um, keep preaching Christ. No mask mandates. <laughs> and the one thing I said in there was, take care of my wife. Mm. And they would have, right? So what if I would have died, and then, you know, what does the church do for a pastor who is certainly not perfect, but trying to preach Christ? They take care of that widow, and so I'm sure they would have taken care of Kim Mm. for a year or something like that until she, you know, she probably would have moved to California to be with the kids. So I think that's important, and you can always tell a, a good church, a healthy church, how do they take care of their pastors? And of course, pastors, you know, don't deserve to be taken care of with, you know, red carpets or anything like that. But uh, it's it's more the position and the one that they're represented. And uh, Galatians six talks about it, as does First Timothy, that we take care of pastors and make sure that they're provided for with health insurance. And that's the other thing. I know churches that they say to their pastor, "Well, here's ten thousand per year. Pick whatever health plan you want." And who can do that? And so our church, for 25 years now, 
They just cover all my health expenses, so I never have to worry about should I see a good doctor mm. or not. And so, anyway, I just look at the Lord's good providence. He's working all these things together, and it's amazing. This is just me and my little life, but there was something going on with the people at the church, with my wife, with my kids, with my neighbors, with those I preach the gospel to. The guy at the gym uh, who owns a gym brought me over a bicycle and uh, to, to ride in the, in the garage, and all these people that it affects, and I just think that's the providence of God. And so he does that with all the other Christians as well, when they're hurting, when they're rejoicing. And uh, it's, 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 no, it's no exaggeration. I'm really glad to be alive. And I always thought my wife was pretty, but she's prettier now. <laughs> I always thought coffee tasted good in the morning when I looked outside, but it seems to taste better now. And so I don't want that feeling to wear off. Amen. Uh, my days really are numbered, and so I'd like to end well, whether that's in one year or in 20 years. Praise God. What a great perspective. And, and it is not uh, something a lot of people think about, cultivating an eternal perspective and Really, you think of Psalm 90, verse 12, teach us to number our days that we might gain hearts of wisdom. It's hard to do that because we are in this world, somewhat, uh, sometimes too attached to this world. So that's hard. Um, Mike, before we, uh, we're going to have to take a break in like four minutes, and we'll get into homiletics. And I want to go back to Psalm 89 and some other scriptures and just uh, uh, peek your, well, just get your take on some of these things that, to help me when I'm understanding these things as I'm trying to deliver them uh, coherently um, and clearly this Sunday. But um, when you're teaching these last couple Sundays, you're talking about some of the solas of Scripture. But something that was interesting to me when I caught part of your sermon was you also mentioned some, quote, solas of the world that the world might have. And I think one of them, if I remember right, was to have a happy life or to be as happy as you can in this life. Did I get that right in, in, in those solas? Do you remember what you shared? Yes. Well, that was uh, uh, in contradistinction to the what we call the five solas of the Reformation, and sola just is a Latin word for alone or only, so it's Scripture alone, not tradition and what your pastor says or Pope says or anything like that. So I thought, well, you know what, the world kind of has their own solas as well. Mm-hmm. And there's a so- sociologist named Christian Smith who does a lot of research, and he identified some of the things that the world taught. And I thought, well, you know what? That's kind of like their solas. And <laughs> the report says the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. And that's really what the world thinks, and that's what the National Study of Youth and Religion came to find as one of the solas. And so I don't know the Latin word for happy. probably has... Felice or something in there, fidelity <laughs> something, but I just call it happy alone, right? That's our goal. Yeah. Just we could be happy alone. We wow. don't care about anything else. And it just struck me, especially in light of my sickness and struggling and lots of people here at the church who have gone through trouble and cancer and COVID. <clears throat> God, re- God wants us to be holy. Mm. And uh, happiness tends to be the caboose that follows the engine of holy living. Now, of course, we can't live a holy life apart from the Holy Spirit and union with Christ, and it is a gift to live a holy life, that's true. But we're also commanded to do certain things and to be pure and to holy, be holy as God is holy. And so I just think to myself, the world just has it backwards, and almost whatever the world is selling, the opposite's usually true. <laughs> I love what you just said. It's very profound, Mike, and... and uh... You're known for those statements. <laughs> you said, happiness is the caboose that follows the engine of holiness or a holy life. Did I get that right? Yeah, yes, you did. I, I love didn't that. come up with that myself, although if it makes you uh, think I'm profound, then we'll leave it at that. But I've been taught that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I mean, you think about the joy of the Lord. The world can't experience that because happiness is temporary. It, it, it's, it's so dependent on our circumstances, but the joy of the Lord— Holiness, that is something that is constant or should be constant in our lives. And that, of course, produces happiness and helps us in our circumstances so that we're not downcast whenever negative or um, faith-testing circumstances, things that happen in life that we don't typically like, we still have the joy of the Lord. We still are in pursuit of holiness, whether we are going through good circumstances or not. We were Pastor Mike Abendroth of No Compromise Radio and pastor of Bethlehem Bible Church in Massachusetts. When we come back, we'll talk more about the Christmas 
history and some scriptures applying to that on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Pastor Mike Abendroth is with us today, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about homiletics. He's going to help me, and you guys get to be in on this conversation of uh, two friends across the country from each other and just hoping to deliver God's Word in a way that will be glorifying to Jesus uh, this Sunday and every time we speak, of course, not just when we teach in the pulpit. But Mike, back to Psalm 89, which you quoted at the beginning of the podcast, I will sing of the graciousness of the Lord forever to all generations. I will make your faithfulness known with my mouth. Uh, For I have said, graciousness will be built up forever in the heavens. You will establish your faithfulness. And then verse 3 and 4, which I was going to touch on this Sunday. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David. I will establish your descendants forever and build up your throne to all generations. And Mike, I would just uh, love for you to just share your thoughts on that and and, uh, help me here. (laughs) Sure. Well, one of the things when we think about preaching or homiletics is maybe we're a listener and we think, well, I'm not a pastor and I don't preach or anything like that, but there's much to be learned uh, about teaching the Bible that everyone needs to know, because moms uh, are teaching their children about the Bible, and uh, dads teach their children the Bible, and people teach Sunday school classes. We all have friends that aren't believers, and so when we're evangelizing them, we're urging them and wanting them to believe, but we're also teaching them, right? We're teaching them about who Jesus is. So a clear and simple and precise biblical proclamation, or if it's evangelism, you know, you're sharing or something, everybody needs that. And so I always try to tell our congregation when we talk this way, don't tune out by just saying, oh, I'm a pastor, So when you're talking about Psalm 89, uh, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I've sworn to to David, my servant, I'll establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. Then it also has a little selah there, Mm -hmm. S-E-L-A-H. And that Hebrew word selah, there's probably five different possibilities. We don't know really for sure. Most people think it means something like stop and let that sink in, Mm -hmm. think a second longer, uh, Spurgeon said, Selah means it would not be meet or right to hurry on, right? So you want to read through your psalms in the morning, but okay, stop. <laughs> and just let this one settle in yes. and think about it a little bit more. What we have here is the Davidic covenant that God has promised, and you can read about that too in Second Samuel 7 mm-hmm. uh, regarding who uh, receives this covenant and who's the one giving the covenant. And I would probably, I'm not a betting person with real money, but just figure of speech, I'm betting, David, you're going to uh, use these verses when you talk about this this Sunday. Mm -hmm. And I won't tell you the reference because you'll probably know it. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mm. And that's Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33. That's exactly. And so Yes, go ahead. Pardon me? Yes, exactly. Those are the two scriptures I was going to point to as well. So go ahead, please. Yeah, right. So what I'm thinking about is when it comes to preaching, to ask your question, I'm thinking, all right, I have people that are fourth grade kids sitting here. I have people who have PhDs in theology and everyone in between. And so I think we can talk about deep truths. Mm-hmm. But lots of times we need to say, well, in other words, or that is to say, and then you kind of rein it in. You know, the word propitiations in your Bible, and everyone uses big words at work, and there's a theological big word, it's propitiation, and it means God's wrath is assuaged or exhausted or emptied out on Jesus. And so I think we can talk that way. And even with the Davidic covenant, it'll be kind of a Christmas sermon, David, this Sunday. Mm -hmm. And so I think you get into it, but you don't have to get into every little detail of that. I think it's big picture, and here's the big picture. God is faithful. And for any of us to go to heaven, we're going to need a God-man, right? This is Job 9 talk where I need a mediator between God and man. And so the mediator is going to have to be God, 
because uh, how could he mediate with God without being God himself, perfect and holy? And he's also going to have to be man to be our representative. And therefore, how could God plan that in eternity past there would be a God-man who would come, right? We have the eternal Son. He adds humanity so that he might be our representative. And that's really, congregation, what this is all pointing to. Why the Incarnation? Because, yes, it's promised by God. And why the talk about David? Because he has to be a son of David. But I'm interested in the Davidic Covenant, because if it's wrong, I'm going to hell. Hmm. So this is one of the most exciting verses in all the Bible, because since it is true, Hmm. your eternal salvation is secure. Your hope of heaven, when you die and you close your eyes and die, how are you going to go to heaven? And the answer is, because of the Davidic Covenant. So that might be kind of my intro. So I just try to be excited about it. <laughs> I try to explain it a couple different ways, show them just like you did. Psalm 89, Luke, it's the same thing in the Old Testament and New Testament, because we have one mind of God. And why the Incarnation? Why does God have to uh, assume human nature? So I'm just kind of rambling a little bit, but I'm excited to talk about the Incarnation, because I think sometimes we just go, oh yeah, Jesus had to be be born. Well, why did he have to be born? Because God requires of every listener, including me, to obey him perfectly, entirely, exactly, and perpetually. And for all of us, we don't do that. Mm. So there needs to be a promise of a man who would come and do that. And when it comes to Jesus perfectly obeying the law, he did. No sins of omission, no sins of commission thought, word, and deed, he perfectly obeyed. That was in the counsels of God. That was going back to the Old Testament and the ultimate David, because we know it couldn't be the real David because of Bathsheba and Uriah and others. Mm. So I hope that helps. Yes, praise God, Mike. And um, I I love the fact that you alluded to, obviously, uh, 1 Timothy 2, 5, there is one God and one mediator also between God and mankind, the man Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. But I want to go back to those scriptures we we just started with, Psalm 89, uh, verse 4, and Luke 1, uh, verse 33. It's interesting. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end, as if we didn't get forever. And then Psalm 89, I will establish your descendants forever, and build up your throne to all generations. I mean, these are just two of the scriptures. Do you think God is trying to communicate something to us? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think for a lot of us, most of us, we think about people with promises and the promises we've made, mm. and we just think about our lives. And if we're honest with ourselves, they're probably not described by the word faithful. So we live in an unfaithful, unfaithful culture. Mm in an unfaithful world with unfaithful politicians and even clergy members, of course, that don't live up to what they preach. Mm-hmm. And so is there anyone that will keep their word? Can we find someone in this world that will do the right thing at their own loss, their own hurt, uh, to keep their word? And of course, everything points to the Lord Jesus, because when you begin to read the scriptures, knowing what's going to happen, like, like we do, And you look at Adam and you think, oh, here's this great representative, and then he sins right in the garden. Or you say, well, you know what, maybe the Messiah is going to be Abraham. And then he says, oh, don't sleep, don't kill me, sleep with my wife, she's my sister. (laughs) Not once, but twice. (laughs) It's the same thing uh, with Isaac. Uh, Don't, I don't want to be killed because of my wife's sake. And when I read that in Genesis 26, I'm thinking, there needs to be somebody that says, I will die for my bride. How does a man treat his bride? I will die for my bride. And here's Isaac. I thought maybe he'd be the one. Uh, The Lord protected him, and he didn't get sacrificed. Uh, There on Mount Moriah in Genesis 22. Isaac's the guy. He's our Messiah. I I, I don't want to die for my bride. Mm. And, of course, we keep working through David and all the way up, and we realize there was one who perfectly obeyed the Lord and honored him. He loved God. He loved his neighbor. And he said, I'll die for my bride. Mm. Wow. And there's a lot of scriptures that emphasize the fact that not only was he God, but he was man. He was human, and he lived on this earth, and he had to go through all the trials and the, the tests that, that we go through, but he did it without sin. 
And that's I love the book of Hebrews that, that, that goes through some of that. But I want to go back to Romans 1, verse 3. Another one of those passages, uh, Pastor Mike, that talks about the humanity and the deity in, in either the same verse or in two verses. It says, concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David. That's fascinating that it puts of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God. With power, according to the spirit of holiness, how? By the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So in just those two verses, Romans 1, verse 3 and 4, talks about his humanity, according to the flesh, and then it talks about his deity, the resurrection from the dead. Only God could have done that. Amen. And here's what's happening, too. For years, I made the mistake. It's not heresy, but it's not the best language. I would say things like this about the God-man. I would say that Jesus is fully God and fully man, or I'd say things like he's 100% God and 100% man. Now, when people say that, I don't correct them. I just realize they haven't thought through it. When you study church history, the language that was used wasn't of quantity. Think about 100%. A glass is 100% full or 50% full. Um, it's talking about quantity, or even the word fully, it's talking about quantity. But the issue in Scripture is the quality of the person, the quality of the God-man. And mm. so, especially a lot of the Reformed confessions would say words like truly God, yes, truly man, perfectly God, perfectly man. So I've kind of tried to get my mind, uh, I mean, my default is fully God, fully man, but to think he's truly God and truly man because that's really what I need, and that's what Romans... Uh, think about this. This will go well on your show. In Rome, what was the message they needed? A city that was full of prostitution, incest, <laughs> slavery, abortion, social woes, uh, people taking advantage of each other in every possible way. What kind of cultural transformation was needed? What kind of redeeming the culture did Rome need? Well, they didn't need any of that. They needed to learn about someone who is truly God and truly man, and that's exactly what the book of Romans is for a city that's a cesspool. Mm. So I like to think of that because too often we've got programs for the big cities uh, that don't lead with truly God and truly man. Wasn't there a line or a phrase in uh, one of the early creeds? I think of the maybe the Council of Nicaea, uh, was it very God? Is that where they used that? They said, begotten, not created, one being with the Father, talking about Jesus the Son? Amen. Very God, a very God, and you, yes. you use that language there. And I think here it's it's good for to be precise. And again, we're not trying to run around and correct everybody, but I think <laughs> as teachers, and you're going to be preaching on Sunday, uh, you're going to, you, dear congregation, need someone who's going to be perfectly man. Uh, to be a representative, and perfectly God, uh, to have enough righteousness to give you, uh, to be able to conquer death, etc. So I just kind of like that language, right, where we say, he is totally, or maybe I shouldn't use it, he is truly God and truly man. And one of the reasons we know he's God, as you use that uh, verse 4 of Romans 1, mm -hmm. declared to be the Son of God in power. Yes. So what happens there, that word declared, if you look out uh, over the lake and you see the dividing line between sky and water, we call that the horizon. And that's the Greek word there for declared. It's the horizon. Hmm. It means to have a, a clear line of, of distinguishing difference. And you would like to know why Jesus is different than every other person that's ever been born. Hmm. Of course he's sinless. Of course he can do miracles. Of course he's the way, the truth, and the life. What Paul's focusing on here is he is different than everyone else because he has been raised from the dead. Amen. Amen. And since we're into this, I mean, we only have three minutes left in this segment, but I would like to go a little bit further into the God-man and talk about different words. For example, in Hebrews chapter 1, when it talks about Jesus is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature— I think you said something earlier that talked about quality, right? Uh, 
exact representation. I mean, that, those are pretty important words there put together, describing the sun, capital S. <clears throat> well, absolutely, and with only a couple minutes to talk about it, what the writer of Hebrews does, kind of like with Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, <clears throat> you know, God created the heavens and the earth, and now there's not, you know, hello, how are you, grace and peace, uh, this is who I am, this is who sent me. It's this extolling of who Jesus is in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And I learned a word when I was studying the Bible that I love when it talks about the radiance of his glory, and that word is effulgence. So, you know, when was the last time you said, David, effulgence? <laughs> Just kind of a fun word to say. You have to use a lot of lips and tongue and breath and everything, effulgence. And when we think about the glory of God, you think about the transfiguration and who the Son is, and we kind of get a see on the outside what he's like on the inside, this Shekinah glory and this uh, wonderful uh, surpassing of the temple's glory. And now we have Jesus' temple of his body. And he just starts off just extolling who Jesus is. And that's what I think we need. I mean, they had social problems in the, in the congregation, moral problems, but it's starting off with a good message from Jesus. And, and I think that's what you're going to do on Sunday. I don't like to have pastors give me a thousand things to do and forget the Lord and Savior. I'd like to hear something from the pastor on Sunday that no one else will tell me. Mm-hmm. CNN doesn't tell me. Fox doesn't tell me. Citizens Free Press doesn't tell me. Judge Report doesn't tell me. I need some good news. I've sinned this week. Am I okay with God? And for the Christian is, of course you're okay, because here's this great God-man, and because of him, he's your advocate, you're fine, God's not mad at you. Mm. I need that message. Yes, we do, and everybody does. And thank you so much for that, Pastor Mike. Um, We've just got less than a minute, so let's just um, wrap this up and go to a break, and we'll talk more about this when we come back, because it's such a fascinating and sometimes controversial, you know, the deity of Jesus. Some would say... Well, Jesus never claimed to be God, and I'm thinking, geez, if you've never read the Gospel of John and others. So we're with Pastor Mike Abendroth. A lot more to come on this very important topic, of course, Jesus, God's faithfulness, and the history of Christmas. More when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Pastor Mike Abendroth is our guest today, and, uh, you know, there's so many different things we could discuss when it comes to the humanity and deity uh, of Jesus and just the mystery which has been made known, which was hidden throughout all the ages, but revealed in these last days. And we know so much that the, even the apostles did not know because we can go back and look at what Paul wrote, and what the, you know, the Gospels, and then Revelation. But let's go back to the Nicene Creed briefly. And Mike, you can share whatever you want about that and how that came to be. But it's fascinating. One of the words that came out of that creed um, is, is homoousius. It means of the same substance. We were talking about Hebrews 1, Jesus being the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his nature. And here's a word that seems to go along with that when it, when it says, he is begotten, not made. In other words, Jesus was not a created being. He is of the same substance with the Father. And I wasn't planning on you know, mentioning that this Sunday, but well, then again, maybe I should. But it's very important when you talk about the deity of God. There should be no questions, but yet there are. Yes, well, what happens is, <clears throat> there's this word, like you just said, that especially John uses, uh, only begotten. I say it's a word. In English, it's two words, but in the Greek, it's one, mono, uh, only, and where we get the word generations, uh, genes, mono, genes, only begotten. Hmm. And even our, I mean, there's lots of good ESV uh, passages, but the ESV in John one fourteen, one eighteen, hmm. three. Uh, my memory serving not, uh, not serving me well now. Uh, probably 318, uh, another passage in 1 John 4, it's only translated as only. And so when it comes to Trinitarian thinking, I mean, we have to say to ourselves, yes, there's one God, we're monotheists, Um, we do believe that the Scriptures teach that the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit's God. And we also believe that the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not God. Those are all things that we need to have in our minds about the Trinity. Mm -hmm. 
And so we can think of things like, well, the Father raised the Son, the Son raised Himself, and the Holy Spirit raised the Son. And why is that true? Well, there's one God. There's not three gods doing three different things. But what the begotten language talks about is, how do they relate to one another? Why didn't the Father come and die on the cross? Why is it the Son? And lots of times we think of Father and the Son, and we think of somebody's better than uh, someone else, the Father's superior to the Son. But that's not the language of Scripture. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are co-equal in essence and being. But how do they relate to one another? So the point of our discussion now is, with words like only begotten, Mm -hmm. we don't think what the Jehovah's Witnesses do. Oh, Jesus is created. No, we think of how do the members of the Trinity relate to one another. And for me, you know what, David, I think to myself, if I put on a marriage seminar, uh, it's packed out. If I put on an end-time seminar, it's packed out. But when's the last time somebody, even listening today, said, oh, there's a conference, a Bible conference near me about the Trinity, and I'm going to learn about um, eternal origins and uh, different Greek words and homoousius and all these other things and (laughs) how the Father relates to the Son. It doesn't pack people out, but this is our God, Yes, and it should. How does the Father relate to the Son? And who is the Holy Spirit? And so I would just encourage people, there's lots of Trinitarian books out now about the Trinity. Just go pick up a book on the Trinity, read a few pages here and there. It's deep, but guess what? It's supposed to be, because we're finite creatures. Mm -hmm. We're also fallen, and now we're thinking and contemplating about the greatest subject in the world. We have an infinite, thrice-holy God Mm. who subsists Father, Son, and Spirit, although only one how can this be? And the answer is, we would not experience any love except for because of the love of the Trinity. Now God loves us. And so he loved us so much that he sent the Son to go rescue us. And that's the language of John. The Father sends the Son. The Father sends the Son. Mm. So I just like talking about the Trinity. In no way I can understand it all, right. but if I deny it, I'm damned. So I want to make sure I accept it. Yeah. And a lot of it I just have to say to myself, this is too far above me. And the answer is, wonderful. Welcome to eternal worship, where you will be worshiping one God, three persons, for all eternity, because that's the only God that exists, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, Mike, when you were talking about that, I, and you, you know, just thinking about the Trinity, and to get our human brains to comprehend a fraction of that truth, um, I, I couldn't help but think about Jesus' baptism. When you had the Holy Spirit descending upon him in the form of a dove, Jesus, you got the, the, the second person of the Trinity being baptized by John the Baptist, and God the Father speaking from heaven, the, he, saying, uh, 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 this is my son. What, what, what did he say? Um, this is my beloved this son. This is my beloved whom, son. In whom I'm well pleased. Yes, listen to him. I th- or that was, that was the transfiguration. But let's go to the baptism and talk about that, because isn't that a good example of how the, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one, but in a way there they were working together, but also separately. Can you explain that? Sure. Well, there's something that theologians talk about, and they call it inseparable operations. Hmm. And so the Scriptures might say, you know what, most of the time it's talking about the Father creates, <clears throat> and the Son redeems, and the Spirit of God sanctifies, something like that. And there might be more emphasis with biblical data. But there's one God. So if, if there's one God, which there is, when it comes to creation, wouldn't we see in Scripture uh, that the Father creates, the Son creates? Mm. Right? The Father creates Genesis 1, the Son creates uh, Hebrews 1, and the Holy Spirit hovers above the waters, Genesis 1. Wouldn't we expect that? Yes. The answer is yes. And so whatever God is doing, all three persons are doing. Now, we say to ourselves, what about the baptism? Then it doesn't surprise me that we believe in a triune God, and the Father speaks from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It's the Son who's being baptized uh, as a representative for humanity, and the Spirit of God who comes and inaugurates or confirms the ministry of Jesus. And so it's just wonderful to think about, and God is one, he subsists in three persons, and what God does, uh, all the 
all the members of the Trinity are involved. And like I said, back with the resurrection, uh, the father raises a son because he vindicates him. Yes, son, you did a good job, and you were perfectly righteous. The son raises himself, John 10, because he has the power to do it. And the Spirit, 1 Timothy 3.16, says he also vindicates the Lord. So whatever God does, uh, he's doing mm-hmm. uh, as Father, Son, and Spirit, because he is Father, Son, and Spirit. So, Mike, we have about uh, eight minutes left, and we want to just kind of go a little bit more toward the Christmas history, the Christmas story now. In a very familiar verse, is Isaiah uh, chapter 9, verse 6, a child will be born, a son will be given, um, then his name, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. But we don't often focus on, sometimes people don't even quote verse 7, that says, again, we're talking about the eternity. It says, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. And then it says, if we have any doubts, the zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Would you please just share your thoughts as we get closer to Christmas? We're very uh, just one day at a time, right? But it's coming. That uh, on, on that verse, verse. <laughs> by seven. the way, I've got all my wife's presents done and wrapped and under the tree. How about that? Oh, you're putting us to shame. <laughs> well, you don't know if you're going to live another day, so you just that's, get it done today. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things I want to remind our listeners, because we were getting in some deep waters with inseparable operations. I'd like you, dear listener, to read the Bible. Of course, there are many human authors, Mm -hmm. but I want you to remember that there's one divine author, and we have God as the divine author, and so it shouldn't surprise us when we see connections between Old and New Testament. It shouldn't make us uh, anxious when we go, oh, I hear kind of an echo or a type or a shadow in the Old Testament pointing to the substance in the new. And of course, that's exactly what we do with Isaiah 9. I just wish we would do it with a lot of other passages. Mm. And you have this promise, this glimmer of hope given, right? And so you say to yourself, wow, uh, in the midst of all the chaos that was going on, Isaiah is sent by the Lord to tell these people what God uh, wants, and then he has the prophet Isaiah to talk about him. Mm. And lots of times when people Uh, want to talk about end times, uh, they might go to this passage. But when I read it, I think to myself, there's many things I could say, but this is just a short show. Uh, God is very kind to sinners. God is very gracious to sinners, because he says, for to us a child is born. And so I don't want to go too fast. Like Spurgeon said, it's not me to go too fast. Now I have to think about that. To us Hmm. a son is given. I mean... Sometimes we're afraid to say to Christians, because we don't want them to disobey and take advantage of God's grace. But God couldn't love you more, dear Christian, because he gave his Son for you, and you're in Christ. And as much as the Father loves the Son, and that's with an infinite love, he loves you. And you say, yeah, but I I was short with my wife this morning. I know you might be disciplined for that, but you'll never lose your salvation, because the work of God is delivered, and he's faithful, and and everything is on his shoulder, the government of everything, including you. And he is wonderful, Counselor. He is mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Amen. And he rules it all, and he upholds it all, and he reigns with justice and righteousness. And speaking of justice, every one of your sins, dear Christian, past, present, and future, they're all paid for, paid in full. It is done. The veil's been ripped. And that's why we have communion services, to be reminded. I think I get to heaven, even now as a pastor, too often by what I do. I had my quiet time. I read my Bible. I did everything. Good. Do those things. But that doesn't increase your standing before God. Amen. Because it has to be grace. And so Isaiah 9 reminds me regularly, to us this child is born, to us this son is given. And when God gives his best, the son the God-man. I'm safe. I'm secure. I'm worried in the hospital. I'm anxious. What if I would have died being anxious in the hospital? And I almost did die, and I was anxious when I was in there Mm. all too often. Does that over 
overthrow the work of God, no. uh, the triune God, not at all. And so, in answer to your question, David, th- this just gives me comfort when I think of Isaiah 9, 6, that I've got such a God. A God would love me. He knew everything I would do. I was only engaged to my wife for 30 days. And why was that a 30-day engagement? Well, it's because if she really got to know me, she'd probably say no. And I knew she was a woman <laughs> of her word, so she said yes. And now it's 32 years later. God, God knew everything I did, all those skeletons in my closet, things that actually death will will just erase because nobody could ever extract them from my mind, and I'm too shameful. Mm. But the Lord God, he knew about them, and he sent his son to die for me anyway. So when I think of Amen. Isaiah 9, 6, that's what I think of. I think that even uh, hundreds of years before these prophecies were fulfilled, that the child, capital C, child, was born, um, that verse 7 says the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this, and you think about it is accomplished when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. He did it for us right then. We had the opportunity, we have the opportunity just by believing to be justified because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. What an amazing God what an amazing history and story, and uh, the, all these topics that we talked to, talked about today. I really hope they've blessed uh, people that are listening. In the last couple minutes, Mike, uh, just uh, we wish you a Merry Christmas. Uh, we're so glad that, that God's not done with you yet. And just uh, share a, a final Christmas greeting in, in the last minute here. Sure. Well, I'm thankful uh, at this time of year to be reminded of the Incarnation, even though uh, we at our churches, we have 52 holidays, right? We have 52 <laughs> special days, and one's not greater than the other, but we just tend to focus on the incarnation of our Lord Jesus and God's faithfulness with His promises. So I'm glad for that. There's nothing wrong with the Christmas service. Mm-hmm. But back to the reminder of Isaiah 9-6, His name's Wonderful Counselor. Don't we all need some counselor? Yes. Isn't there someone out there who's wise, who could see the end from the beginning to help us on this difficult life of what to do, and we've got a loved one on a ventilator, do we shut them off, how do we go about it, we need help, and to think that the Lord Jesus is called Wonderful Counselor, and He is smart, intelligent, wise, He isn't foolish, He's not frenetic, He's not biting His fingernails. He sits on a throne, and Psalm 115 says, Our God sits in the heavens, and He does whatever He pleases. Mm. That's what we need every Sunday to be reminded of, because I live my life through the lens of, does this vaccination work? Should I get vaccinated? What about inflation? It's really 18%. What's (laughs) going to go on in the 2022 elections? If you want to think about that for a while, you can. But, dear Christian, I want you to think of those things through the lens of a God, a triune God, who's working and who's doing things. And if he saved you, he can save your unsaved loved one. Amen. And you have to rest. That's why the synonym for belief in Reformed Christianity is rest. Thank you Come so much. Me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you. Amen. God bless you, Pastor Mike Abendroth. Uh, tomorrow on Standard for the Truth, Alex Newman, journalist, educator, author, The New American, and Freedom Project. God bless you, and keep speaking the truth.